Welcome, everyone, to Dangerous Thoughts on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren. This is a show that we do every Wednesday, uh, where we fortify the Enlightenment ideas responsible for the success of Western civilization through some street philosophy, straightforward philosophy for humans living as humans here in reality, where we live. Uh, Aristotle would, would say it's the world where A is A. A thing is what it is. And reason is our primary means of survival. Um, so, so welcome. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? I'll start, start with that. Um, we're not going to talk about Biden inviting war with Russia over the Ukraine that just happened. And, you know, what are you going to say about that? Or that he's insinuating that the 2022 midterms, midterms will be rigged. Um, but Hey, the good news is if you're tired of COVID, how about a proxy war with Russia? They have nukes. That should be fun. This reminds me, uh, maybe we are gonna, we're not going to talk about it, but I am going to, it reminds me of a Dead Kennedys song from nine, like 1987 or something um, called Kinky Sex Makes the World Go Round. Because, uh, you know, that it's the Dead Kennedys. So if you didn't listen to any punk in the 80s, I'm, I guess this is lost on you. I pulled up the lyrics. I'm just going to read it because this Ukraine thing has me thinking of the song. Remember, this is written you know, 87 or something. <laughs> Greetings. This is the Secretary of War at the State Department of the United States. We have a problem. I think he's calling Moscow because this is Cold War era. The companies want something done about this sluggish world economic situation. Profits have been running a little thin lately, and we need to stimulate some growth. Now, we know there's an alarmingly high number of young people roaming around in your country with nothing to do but stir up trouble for the police and damage private property. It doesn't look like they'll ever get a job. It's time we did something constructive with these people. We've got thousands of them here, too. They're crawling over. They're crawling over the companies. Sorry, they're crawling all over. By the way, I think this is actually between the UK prime minister, and, and I think it's a phone call between president in the UK, prime minister, or the US and the UK. Um, the companies think it's time we all sit down, have a serious get together, and start another war. The president, he loves the idea. All those missiles streaming overhead to and fro, napalm, people running down the road, skin on fire, the Soviets seem up for it. The Kremlin's been itching for a real thing for years. Hell, Afghanistan's no fun. So what do you say? We don't even have to win this war. We just want to cut down on some of the excess population. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But uh, 80s punk for the win. I know they were probably leftists. I'm just blocking that out. I haven't listened to the Dead Kennedys for a long time. But uh, I know they were probably leftists. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, three major topics. We're going to talk about how when they say inclusion, what they mean is the exact opposite, exclusion. Uh, we're going to talk about how um, we're going to actually review. There's an there's a. There's an inside view into the rot within big tech in Silicon Valley that I'd like to share with you that I don't really need to make a lot of commentary on. It's just a fascinating thing I'm going to read to you because I think you might be interested in it. And maybe, maybe if we have time, we're going to help Beverly, our producer, uh, argue with some branch Covidians because she had a question and I said, why don't we just talk about this on Dangerous Thoughts? So anyway, before we start, a couple of reminders. I assume you're subscribed. Uh... Please double check our relationship with YouTube is tenuous at best. If you're not subscribed, uh, I think the vice president of the United States um, would agree with me when I say it's time to like, share, and subscribe. And that time is every day. Uh, what do you think, Kamala? It's time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. 
Every day it is time for us to agree. Well said. Well said. And what do you think about a growing community of sharp-minded individuals, uh, Madam Vice President? What do you think about that? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree. Can't really argue with that. Uh, so uh, you can support us directly via donations if you want by going to unsafespace.com. Click on the support us button. All financial supporters get access to our Discord server. Um, depending on the level of support, you get your name in the credits, cool mugs, that kind of stuff. All right. I've had enough of the vice president, so let's move on. <laughs> Someone in chat said she sounds loaded. Yeah. I guess she's loaded. All right. I want to talk about a story that I heard on NPR yesterday, not because it's particularly profound, but because it uh, reminded me of, of a topic that I kind of wanted to talk about generally, and it's it was a, a, an opportunity to do that. And um, it, it is a demonstration of what they mean when they say exclusion or inclusion. <laughs> I ruined the punchline. Um, and this is a story from Roanoke, Virginia. It's about Holland's University. Uh, now, Holland's University, let's see if I can put it up here for you. Boom. Holland's University is, uh, by the way, it's like $55,000 a year, but of course, government aid kind of thing. It, it was founded in 1842. Uh, it became a women's college in 1852. So it's been a women's college since 1852. So over 150 years. Um, and like a lot of colleges, uh, Holland's University has recently in the past several years been pressured to accept trans women and like a lot of institutions Holmes University has opted for appeasement because appeasement works so well with the left they opted for appeasement um and uh well here let's let let's let the um NPR the NPR lady reporter, I think her name is Melissa Block. Let's listen to her explain the admissions policy of Holland's University. Girls all a women's women's college for 150 years. Here's how Holland's latest admissions policy works. If you're a transgender woman, you can apply. If you're a trans man, no. But if you transition to male after you get to Hollands, you can stay. And that's an important shift. Before 2019, if you transitioned while at Hollands, you'd have to transfer out. Okay, so um, not only has Hollands decided, hey, we're going to, we'll accept trans women. Um, they, they appeased. Uh but if you obviously if you transition while you're there you can't stay which i guess means if you're uh identifying as a woman coming in and you change uh you couldn't you couldn't stay now now you can i guess uh you could you you can but this also begs the question what happens if you 
were a biological man, identified as a woman, got into Hollands, then transitioned back to being a guy while you're there. I guess that means you could stay, right? I'm not sure. Anyway, appeasing, uh, of course, never works. NPR is not satisfied uh, with this. So let's listen to the second part. Finally, if you're non-binary, Holland says no, your application will not be accepted. To be admitted, you have to, quote, consistently live and identify as a woman. And that's messed up, says sophomore Willow Seymour, who is genderqueer. All right, that's messed up, obviously. Women's college not allowing people who identify as something other than a woman in. Messed up. Um... So look, you know, let's be clear. Hollins is an explicitly women's college. The left won the trans woman debate with them. Um, and and now they're mad that uh, even if you don't identify as a woman, uh, they want you to come in. If you don't identify as a woman, Hollins says no, and, and they're mad about that. Um, and this is revealing because it exposes the true uh, motivation behind the left's deconstruction of gender. And as a hint... Um, it's not about supporting women. They're not deconstructing gender, gender to try and support women. Um, these people are bitter, petty destroyers. Um, they're not here to uplift anyone. That's a ruse. Let's keep listening because um, it gets better. And someone in chat points out uh, they they've uh, they found an insane person. It's not just one though, and that's the problem. Even though it's probably a minority, uh, let's listen to the next part. Personally, I think it's pretty offensive to exclude non-binary people. I know that historically it's a women's college, but a lot of people see it as like a refuge from patriarchal structures and non-binary people deserve to be as much part of that as anyone else. All right, so it's a refuge from patriarchal structures, of course. Why didn't we think of that? Um, and then let's play the, the last little bit so you can get a full sense of the agenda that NPR is pushing through their cherry picking of interviews with students and faculty. I know that she talks about it as a women's college and there are still professors here who only use she her pronouns when talking about the student body, which obviously I don't think really fits what Hollins looks like anymore. Macmillan, who is cisgender, says Hollins should be a place that welcomes all non-binary and transgender students too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Maybe a school with everything under the sun, except for cis men. So no cisgender men. No, thank you. <laughs> oh, no cisgender men. That's funny. Let's laugh at that. So let's be clear. Their, their proposal for inclusivity amounts to excluding cisgender men. Everyone else is fine. Just the cisgender men. They're not allowed. Uh, yeah, there's two lessons we can take away from this story here. One, uh, this lesson for the board of directors uh, or board of trustees, I guess, usually for colleges. Appeasement never works. Um, this will never end with Hollins. The president of the university later hinted that uh, the board's thinking would evolve over time, probably. Um, but, you know... They're never going to be satisfied till they get what they want. Even once they just exclude white cis men, I'm sure they'll come up with something else. 
to be pissed about. Um, but the second takeaway here, the second lesson that I think is super important is, um, is to understand that when the left talks about inclusivity, what they mean is the exclusion of a particular class of people, which is cis men. Now, specifically, they mean cis white men. Uh, if may, maybe Holland someday will be like, well, I, I don't know. Black men are starting to get to be vilified by the left as well. So who knows their status? But maybe, maybe. Certainly white cis men would be worse. Um, now, look, it, it's not really a private university because it's supported by government funds. But if it were, I mean, in reality, like this is kind of irrelevant to most of us because we don't want to associate with those people anyway. So doesn't really matter it's like you know if if a if commie in berkeley says like you can't come to our happy hour it's like okay dude i don't care um but the reason this this matters the reason the exclusion matters is i think it's worth asking why they want to exclude cis white men um why that's a an issue and this is a this is the broader topic that i want to talk about um which is what is the agenda of um, modern left authoritarianism, modern leftist authoritarianism. And I've talked about this before because I think a lot of people try and grope for unifying beliefs that unite the left in some positive direction. Um, but the truth is if, if these, if the various factions of the left were pressed, they couldn't actually agree about what to build. They couldn't agree on what their utopia should be. This is not a push by ideologues for building a particular utopia. These people are not builders. They are destroyers. There's only one thing that they all really agree on here. And that is the enlightenment has to go. Right? The unifying characteristic of, of modern leftism is the destruction of the core ideas of the enlightenment what we might call modernism philosophically, right? And I'm distinguishing that from um, Enlightenment era thinkers. Uh, as we heard from uh, Dr. Stephen Hicks recently, uh, he made a distinction between uh, Enlightenment thinkers and Enlightenment era thinkers. And I'm making that distinction here as well. But by Enlightenment ideas, by modernism, what I mean is and this is what's rejected. Let's talk about what what they reject here. And you can you can walk down the, the list. What the left rejects and what all the factions of the left agree on rejecting. First, it's rejection of enlightenment metaphysics. This is a rejection of Aristotle, right? He's dead the A is A, a thing is what it is, right? Um, there's one reality, things have specific natures, effects have causes that they reject this. That is a unifying characteristic. They all agree to reject this. What their metaphysics um, is that reality is either maybe part of social constructs or tribal meta-narratives, their own identity fantasies. Um, so they may not agree on what reality is, but they agree it's not Aristotelian. Right? So in other words, they, they are unified in this idea that they want freedom not political freedom, like we would talk about it, but they want freedom from reality and from the consequences of reality. They are, reality is distasteful to them. 
They don't like it. And so therefore they want an, a, a, a metaphysical view of the universe that is non-Aristotelian, that allows them to live in a fantasy world or pretend that it's socially constructed or whatever. Um, epistemologically, it's a rejection of reason, right? Um, by the way, someone in chats, Andrew B, saying it's a rejection of Christianity. I disagree, actually. Um, I don't think Christianity is, is the unique characteristic of the Enlightenment. Christianity was around 2,000 years. Um, it wasn't until Thomas Aquinas um, resuscitated Aristotle and started applying Aristotelian thought to Christianity that you get some modern version of it. Um, so Christianity is not uh, an essential component of the Enlightenment. Anyway, epistemologically, they want to reject reason. Um, you see this all over the place. You see the elevation of lived experience over facts. You, re you see the rejection of, of knowledge as even possible, right? We talked about postmodernists last week. It's a great example, right? Even, even the idea of knowledge is, is, is inimical to their, their ideology. Um, there's a, there's a, I think I've read this quote before by Gloria T. Hull. I'm going to have it. Some of us are brave. It's a, it's called all the women are white. All the blacks are men, but some of us are brave black women's studies. Um, this quote, by the way, is cited by Kimberly Crenshaw in her seminal works on intersectionality as if it's fact, but it's just a quote from some crazy feminist lady. Um, she writes, objectivity is itself an example of the reification of white male thought. What could be less objective than the totally white male studies, which are still considered knowledge? She's got scare quotes around objectivity and knowledge. So pulling this stuff down, they just want to tear down the epistemology. Um, and you see this also with, remember a couple of years ago, the National Museum of African History and Culture, which is a um, member of the Smithsonian, it's a Smithsonian institution. Remember they had, um, remember they had their chart about whiteness or their, their graph about whiteness. They must have read their, their Gloria Hull. Um, because one of the things that was in their list here um, is, was emphasis on the scientific method. This was one of the things that was being derided as whiteness. It's mere whiteness, right? This includes objective, rational, linear thinking, cause and effect relationships, and quantitative emphasis. Uh, and there's not much more of a rejection of enlightenment epistemology than that. Um, ethics, on the ethical level, they reject individualism, right? Um, for the left, people are primarily treated and viewed as, as members of groups, right? Um, depends on what part of the left you're in, uh, which group matters most to you. But um, even more importantly than, than treating people primarily as members of groups, um, this concept, which I, I actually think is an anti-concept, but this, this false concept of, of group justice takes precedence over individual rights. Right, uh, all forms of socialism violate individual rights. Um, but you now have you have these um, these ideas for non-victims demanding that innocent people pay reparations because they have the same skin color as victims that non-innocent people victimized. 
right? Um, you've got safe spaces that exclude people based on the color of their skin or gender. Um, and of course, that same uh, Smithsonian Institution was very clear about um, very clear about this as well, about rejecting the ethics of individualism and enlightenment ethics, enlightenment ethics, right? Rugged individualism is one of the things that's listed as as mere whiteness derogatorily. Um, things included in rugged individualism, the individual as the primary unit, right? That's that's enlightenment ethics. Self-reliance, uh, independence and autonomy uh, being highly rewarded and valued. And individuals assumed to be in control of their environment. Now, this is an attempt to dodge responsibility, but it's also a teardown of enlightenment ethics. Of course, the entire ethical structure of institutions like the United States government as originally conceived were based, justified morally uh, on individualist ethics. Politics-wise, anti-capitalism is probably the most unifying characteristic of the left. Right, they rarely understand what it means. They don't really understand that it means private property. They often infiltrate a capitalist system, corrupt the capitalist system. Failure occurs as a result of the corruption. They blame the capitalist system, and they propose um, they propose a solution, which is to further corrupt it. So, um, I don't think they understand it, but they definitely reject capitalism politically. So all of these things are the unifying characteristics of people on the left, regardless of what they believe positively. They believe all these things negatively. They want to tear all these things down, even if they disagree about what they want to build. Now, what does all this have to do with cis white men? In reality, not much, right? Uh, but in their minds, cis white men are symbols of the enlightenment to them because of course they look at they don't look at the value of ideas they look at who invented them and the enlightenment thinkers um almost almost all of them that we would discuss uh were cis white men so therefore they're bad uh they view cis white men as living statues just like they want to tear down statues of things you know other stuff they don't like they want to tear down statues of thomas jefferson or whatever that they want to tear down cis white men because they're symbols of the enlightenment. Um, and the second thing this really has to do with cis white men is they have conflated the entire enlightenment with whiteness and the patriarchy. They have a deep seated belief that consciously or not white cis men are natural disease vectors for enlightenment values. Of course, enlightenment is a disease to them, right? Uh, I wish that were true because, uh, if all white cis men were natural disease vectors for enlightenment values, we wouldn't be in the battle that we're in right now. Enlightenment ideas would be winning, um, but we're not. Um, so I, I just wanted to talk about this because it, I think it's a good uh, time to just stop and remind everyone what really unifies the modern left. It's not anything... It's not any positive movement. It's not that they want a particular kind of Marxism or a particular kind of European socialism. 
Um, most of them pinned down can't really even define what it is they want, but they know what they want to tear down. And that's the Enlightenment. And they know what the symbols of the Enlightenment are, at least in their minds, at least as they've been told, which is cis white men. So diversity, inclusion, equity, right? Uh, that's not a naive but well-meaning rally cry for like kumbaya utopian hippies, right? That it, it, like diversity, inclusion, and equity is a curse on the new pariah class for woke ideology, which is cis white men and the enlightenment ideas that they represent. That's what they mean when they say that. Um, it's some of this is so tiring. I'm sorry. I'm not meaning to be low energy. It's some of this is just so tiring, right? I don't care if there's a women's only university anywhere, but you know, I have to hear that the women's only university can't even be a women's only university because some whiners that are non-binary want it to be an anti-cis white men. You know, it's tiring. It's tiring. All right. I'm actually excited that I get to read this next thing. Let's go to our next our next topic. You're going to see insight into what the devastation, the 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 detritus, the trail of disaster left by convergence inside a company looks like. Remember, convergence is this idea that um, the woke left infiltrates a company, usurps its primary purpose, and turns it in like like those uh, parasites that turn ants into like little uh, <laughs> fungus towers or whatever, you know, like maybe it's a fungus, I guess, then. But like, I think they infect the thing and then the ant stops and the fungus grows in the ant and the parasite, something like that kind of stuff. That's what convergence is. They infect the company and they destroy it from within. And you don't often get to see uh, such an eloquently and vividly painted picture of what the trail of disaster looks like inside the company is what I'm about to show you. And it's compounded by the fact that this company is dealing with working from home issues as a result of COVID lockdowns. Uh, someone oh, there you go. Thank you, Demon Slayer. Corticeps mushrooms. There you go. I knew there was some kind of thing. <laughs> Parasitic mushroom. Okay. Um, and this story, this story reminds me of, uh, if you've read Atlas Shrugged, there's that tree on the Taggart estate that Dagny always thought was going to stand forever because it looked really strong. And one day lightning struck the tree and, um, she realized that inside it had been rotted out this entire time. It was just a shell. Uh, and of course, Ayn Rand used this as a metaphor for America in her novel because it was dystopian. Um, Okay, this is just a Twitter thread, and I'm going to read it to you. The reason I've got it printed out, I'm going to read it here, is like two days after it was posted, maybe less, this poor guy, his account is gone. It's deleted. I don't think – it looks like it was actually deleted, not that Twitter suspended him, but I think he – either was identified or worried about being identified for leaking this information. And uh, he's probably worried about being in trouble. So I'm not going to share his name. 
I do have a suspicion about what company this is. Um, I won't even say that. Although, as I read this to you, you may gather uh, the same information that I have and, and draw your own conclusions about what company this might be. But I'm going to read you his Twitter thread on this because, uh, honestly, it's uh, – I, I just found it really riveting. Okay. I work in big tech, a name you would know and have probably used before. Wanted to give a rundown of what it's like from the inside right now. Obviously, insane, radically left-wing, BLM, LGBTQ, trans flags hanging in the office. Pronouns are stated before meetings. Special affiliation groups for everyone but white men. All that you'd expect. By the way, isn't it sad that that's, that's to be expected? This is all you would expect all this. He's not phased by any of that. Eh, that's all you'd expect. Sure. Okay. And he's right. Then he writes, but COVID slash work from home has totally broken people. They are fundamentally weak, often with no social support outside of work. They're the people with no children, no spouse, only a dog or a cat for emotional support. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just sounds funny to me. I'm picturing these people. Sad. Very sad. Um, there's constant talk, even now, about how hard things are for everyone. Often meetings start with going around the room to ask, how is everyone feeling? By the way, he's not describing kindergarten. He's describing a tech company. Literally, everyone else we went on sad rants about their lives. Here's a quote. I'm so mad a white supremacist shot three black men in Kenosha. It's like the world is populated with Scientologists talking about Xenu and you're supposed to nod your head. Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. Tell me more about Xenu. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, he continues. It's toxic. When it got to me, I said, good. <laughs> and then a lady engineer literally proposed that we should not be allowed to answer the question positively. I shit you not, he writes. I think it hurt her that I wasn't as miserable as her. You're right, dude. It did hurt her. And we've talked about this previously. Being a leftist is fucking miserable. They are miserable. And they they are joy eaters. They don't, they don't want you to be fine or good. She made some arguments about vulnerability. These people not only want you weak... They want you to expose your vulnerabilities to them so they can exploit them. I'm glad he sees through this. Uh, they may not intend this explicitly, but whatever twisted ideology they worship ends with this result. So back to morale. Everyone is demoralized. This may surprise you since big tech is extremely well paid and has been able to work from home throughout the past two years. They've been given extra days off, extra stipends, bonuses, etc. They never had to fear being laid off. Let's pause on this for a moment because I think people outside Silicon Valley don't realize the amount of money here. Being a software engineer in Silicon Valley, it doesn't, it's expensive to live here, sure. 
Um, so maybe you don't feel like you're rich, especially because you're surrounded by people who are much richer because there's a lot of wealth here. But most other places in the country would kill to have the salaries that these people have. I mean, I, I mean, I had engineers. I paid $200,000 on my team. And that was 10 years ago. And they were good, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the, the world-class rock star and something. It was a good engineer. Um, all right. So they never had a fear of being laid off. He writes, everyone else has, <laughs> just has this fear. Most people did, especially service workers, anyone who deals with the public. Not these guys. They didn't have the fear of being laid off and they cushy jobs, nice paychecks. Okay. So he continues, I have some sympathy and can feel some of this myself. It's normal and natural to work with people in person. Yeah. Working from home can make it easy to overwork. You take fewer breaks, often work past normal working hours. Depends on your work ethic, but yes, I'm sure that you did that, dude. Uh, don't feel connected to customers or celebrate success in person. Yeah, that is tough. And as I mentioned, big tech is often the only social life for people. I fortunately never made it mine, but my company had all sorts of after-work activities, sports leagues, game nights, different classes taught by employees. There was a rhythm and connectedness that's gone. The great resignation is real. Many employees are leaving for better jobs. Remote work has so far resulted in more job opportunities for those working in big tech, especially outside of Silicon Valley. And so we backfill these positions to hire new people, all remote. We now have employees who have nearly two years of tenure who have never met another person, another employee in person, and live alone in some city away from where the office was. This would be fine for a normal person, but again, we're attracting the familyless urbanites, scared of even meeting up with their friends at a restaurant. That's true, by the way. People are, they're neurotic. They're, 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 they're scared that, you know, go on 101 in Silicon Valley. People wear masks in the cars by themselves. It's, it's insane. The churn in jobs also has the major effect of constantly dealing with the overhead of reassigning projects from people leaving and onboarding new people. The employees don't get enough attention to succeed. And the employees that stay end up with a workload dumped by the former coworkers, plus the responsibility of onboarding the new ones. There are many software engineers who've not written a single line of code in the past year. How many of you would like to get paid a couple hundred thousand dollars to not write a single line of code? You don't have to be a software engineer to not write a line of code, right? Um, all right. While the woke agitation has slowed due to the productive employee's ability to simply log off, in addition to the tiredness of the agitators, there is more and more open rebellion regarding pay and profits. Of course, they're not satisfied. I'm going to keep my mouth shut till the end here. Bring your whole self to work was the big tech mantra. Tell people about your cool hobbies. Share your politics. If you're far left only, share your sex life. <laughs> Can you imagine working at Google and sharing your sex life? 
it's going in a database somewhere. Um, all right. <laughs> I can't imagine sharing my sex life with employees generally, especially not at big tech. All right. Um, this plus the feeling of distance an online only presence creates has made people braver in speaking their thoughts. You used to have to have the balls to knock on the CEO's office door or schedule a meeting. Now you can fire off a nasty Slack message straight to her. People will openly write threads and comments throughout Slack, bad-mouthing the higher-ups at the company. And they do nothing. It's unreal what people will write, will write with no recourse. If anything, if, sorry, if it were anything remotely real-world, I'm certain they'd be immediately fired. But so long as they're sufficiently left-wing or minority, anything but straight white man, they can agitate, complain, do no work, and continue employment. And so the entire company has devolved. We're running on the code written in years past. No major new product initiatives are being launched. Workers complain that they're understaffed and demoralized. People take constant sick days or don't show up at all without a record. It's very easy to hide when working from home. With such a flux in employees and management and so much allowance for mental health, it's easy to simply not show without punishment. We hired a new employee and I pinged them at 1 p.m. to see if they'd join a meeting. They came 10 minutes later, said they slept in because they didn't have anything to work on. It's got to be mind boggling for someone not in software. On a given day, managers, there are several in weird matrix structure, will say things like, what can I do to support you? Do you have enough work, enough to work on? Too much? It's like emotional support. And you can simply say, oh, I've had a hard week, barely slept, felt sick, don't think I can handle much more this week. There's no real accountability to anyone. <sighs> Record profits at the top because of existing code and product market fit cruising along so leaders don't notice. It's utterly surreal to watch the deterioration, to see how quickly an organization can crumble. And I'm not productive either. I'm constantly bombarded with anti-white, anti-male, woke propaganda. I'll bet. We've even had explicit discussions of being of, of assigning less work to URMs. I hadn't heard that acronym. It means underrepresented minorities. Assigning less work to URMs because life is really hard for them right now. This suggestion was from a lesbian white woman with cats. <laughs> this guy's funny, too. I don't know if he means to be. As productive as one person can be, you can't add value when constantly thwarted. That's true. Nobody in IT doing tickets anymore to provision things for you. Large bureaucracy to gatekeep any action. Needs review by X number of committees, including now DEI committees. That's diversity, equity, inclusion. Can you imagine you want to requisition something from IT in a, a DEI committee full of people who majored in gender studies at Smith College have to sign off on it. It's hard to feel unproductive. I'm not the type who feels great about getting paid to not work, but that's essentially what I've been doing for the last year. 
This problem is the worst in big tech. So if Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Amazon Prime, or Netflix go down, the world will probably be better off. It's not essential. I worry about this apathy spreading to companies that matter, ones that write software for utilities. We had a woman who worked for us who was just awful at her job, could not understand instructions at all, could not do the job, barely spoke English. She wasn't just unproductive. She actually dragged the team down. I worked with my director to finally get her fired after failing her performance improvement program. HR told us they can't fire her because she's Asian and female and in California, and it's just simply too hard. That was over five years ago. You have a certain fire in your 20s, ready to reform and change everything. You get noticed when you perform, promoted, bonuses, etc. But eventually, you keep hitting the same problems or gatekeepers over and over. I recall asking an older coworker, mid-30s at the time, what drove him. And he said, he just does it for the paycheck now. I'm at that point. Lost the fire for my career and collecting my paycheck for other purposes in life where the fire has been rekindled. I worked remote for five years at a prior job, and this was never the case. There's something special about this combo of remote and your feelings are valid. I know this isn't just my company because I've interviewed at many other companies, big tech and unicorns. Awful conduct at interviews. Demoralized employees who show up late, unprepared, or absolutely do not want to be there. Things my coworkers spend an enormous amount of their day on. Coming up with a clever new Zoom background each day. Something Harry Potter or Star Wars like children. Clever Slack emojis. Reddit-style responses in threads, like first and other lowbrow irony for the lulls. That was the end of his original post, but he then went on later. Going to add a few more examples. Our director hired a manager, female minority. He said, she's not qualified. <laughs> and then he kept talking. That's where things went downhill. But, but she checks the boxes. The first order effect is that this is not good for her or her direct reports, but it gets worse. She drove two high-performing engineers straight out of the company, totally demoralized the third. Engineers who were able to, able to switched managers, which overloaded their other managers. Since she had so few direct reports, all new employees were assigned to her and had an awful first experience with the company. Most left soon after. Instead of firing her, the obvious answer, she was moved to another group where she had the same effect. She's still here years later wreaking havoc. Don't hire unqualified people because of race and gender. <laughs> if only it were that simple, dude. You'd think that wouldn't need to be said. <clears throat> Another example. I've interviewed many times wanting to leave, but every comparable company now has a diversity panel interview, which is just a matter of gatekeeping ideological purity at these companies. They ask questions like, why is diversity important to you? And by the way, Hidden Premise. Remember we did a show on Hidden Premises? There's one. Uh, and what have you done to increase diversity at your company? In one interview, they re-asked me three times because they weren't satisfied that I was ideologically pure enough. 
you're not, dude. Uh, I value diversity of experience. They were wanting me as a white man to apologize for my sin of being born. People have increasingly been taking mental health days. Sometimes they're using sick days. Many times they don't. It's just a free vacation. Unaccountable. I have no doubt half of the time they are used for one of the three leading causes of mental illness. Anxiety, depression, and leftism. We have or have had policies where interview panels must have at least one woman, resulting in having unqualified interviewers rushed in to meet the quota. Any white men who are in high-up decision-making positions must have a BAME, Black Asian Minority Partner, sign off. I've now had messages and friends reach out to say, this isn't just in big tech, that even in manufacturing and hardware, this is becoming the norm. Federal government and big tech are forcing diversity, equity, and inclusion requirements on their suppliers. White men in small town Midwest are having some consultant come into their factory and say, hello, fellow white men, and talk about their privilege. Among social liberals, learning about white privilege reduces sympathy, increases blame, and decreases external attributions for white people struggling with poverty. There's way too much feedback and praise in big tech. Just a big circle jerk of shout outs at meetings. Praise for people just doing average at their jobs. And that's it. Sounds like below average at their jobs. That's it. That's his tweet thread. Budgie Burger in chat says, I know this isn't meant to be funny. However, there are parts where I think the guy knows he's being funny. <laughs> it is funny in parts. I thought about what to comment on this. I don't think I need to say too much because I think you can just absorb it for yourself. There's a lot there. <clears throat> I will say before COVID <clears throat> for a while, I said this at least a year before COVID, if not earlier, I made a comment and I, I don't think people liked it. And I said, well, all things being equal, like if I didn't care about, if I was just a pragmatist, I didn't care about gun rights or you know, free speech or whatever. I just, just a pragmatist, like most people are, right? If I was just a pragmatist and I wanted to start a company in the tech space, I wouldn't have started it in Silicon Valley. And I said I'd start it in Shenzhen. And uh, people thought I was crazy. And again, I, I wouldn't do that for ideological reasons, right? Like I wouldn't want to be subject to Chinese government law. But from a practical perspective, if you're just a pragmatist, um, Silicon Valley has been a rotting cesspool for some time. It's that dead tree in Atlas Shrugged. It's rotted. Um, and there's a sort of American arrogance that I think we have um, that like somehow we have superior intellects and superior ability to be creative and manufacture things and be productive. Um, 
And that's just not true. What we had was superior legal structure. We had a superior ideology. We had enlightenment values. That's what allowed us to unleash our human potential more so than people elsewhere who are struggling, right? There's, there were smart guys in the Soviet Union, but they were stuck in the Soviet Union, right? And productive guys and creative guys, but they were stuck in the Soviet Union. Um, and the reason I said Shenzhen at the time was China was very blatant about what they were doing. They're an authoritarian government that's running a tax farm and they're trying to make it efficient for the, the tax cattle. And, uh, you know, relatively efficient there. I'm not sure I would still say Shenzhen because things have gotten worse there. I thought it was getting better. I thought the trajectory was improving, but uh, they kind of have reversed capital controls and other stuff in China. But my point isn't about China specifically. I mean, I know a bunch of people moving to Portugal, for example, to do companies because they're not taxing crypto. Um uh, another industry that the government has just fucking crushed and destroyed. Uh, the idea that we will forever be this beacon on a hill of of stellar engineering and creativity and productivity, that's a myth. There are requirements for that. And we've been <laughs> we've been busy sacrificing those requirements at the altar of wokeism is what we've been doing. Um, I think what you're seeing in this, this, uh, I'll call it an article, this tweet thread, uh, you are seeing people, you know, at first I was like, well, are these people getting too much meaning out of work? I don't think so because it's not about them. Like if they were getting meaning out of work, they would still have meaning because they're still working. It's not that they're getting meaning out of work. You should find your work meaningful. It's that they're getting intimacy out of work, which he talks about. Um, which I think is kind of a socialist idea, right? It's kind of a it's kind of a socialist idea. It's it's a leftist idea to kind of conflate family with state and community. And uh, I mean, what was one of the things in here? Talk about your sex life. Share your sex life at work. Not my company. So I mean, I think that's what's happening. They 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 substituted their work relationships for intimacy generally. Um, they probably get physical intimacy through Tinder and Bumble, and that's the extent of it. Uh, and so they go home to their cats or their lizards or whatever. And uh, no wonder, no wonder they're sad and demoralized. And then you throw wokeism on top of this, uh, which is. You know, as I mentioned the, before, that the word convergence, which is usurping the primary purpose of the company, um, and and making it all about propagating woke ideology, and you make it difficult to do anything, to requisition things from IT, to get to hold people accountable for anything. You notice you're not held accountable. Um, I imagine, you know, for for a healthy psychology, it's demoralizing to not be productive, especially if that productivity is being undermined at every chance and and being surrounded by people who are unproductive the other thing you see here is mass exhaustion um and a lot of free-floating anxiety if you'll recall when we talked about the quote debunked mass formation when we talked about crowds 
and how the, and what the dynamics of crowds are and the and the requirements for the behaviors categorized as mass formation um the kind of pseudo hypnotic states one of the main requirements was this free floating sense of anxiety and i read this thing and it's it's chock full of free floating anxiety anxious people and i'm sure I'm sure these miserable people, if someone stands up and says, it's the unvaccinated that are the cause of your woes, uh, I'm sure that's a very attractive and tempting proposition to, to, to make the unvaccinated the scapegoat or whomever the scapegoat. So on the one hand, this is a little bit depressing. On the other hand, it's kind of cool. You know why? Fuck big tech. There's a lot of really awesome alternate technologies coming out. Many of them are not here in Silicon Valley, but in flyover states, as they would say, or uh, decentrally organized with teams around uh, the country, and they're doing interesting things. Um, and uh, hey, maybe it doesn't suck to work there. Maybe working for Odyssey is way more fun than working for YouTube. And maybe, just maybe, some of these alternative technology companies, if they don't have this morale problem, which I think they probably wouldn't have this particular morale problem um, because they would be rejecting woke ideology and hopefully keeping it out of their HR departments, which is where it infiltrates, there'll be greater places to work, which means they'll ultimately be more productive even if the giant behemoths have uh, a lot of resources that are living on borrowed time. And maybe it's a great time to start another company. If, if you have an idea, uh, you want to take one of these tech giants down by doing something on your own, maybe now's the time. Maybe now's the time because this is uh, – it's fake. Their strength is fake. They still have a lot of power. But their endurance, their endurance is fake. Someone says, Carter, how do we start a microprocessor plant in the U.S.? Well, now you're going to bring me back down again, man, because uh, you're going to bring me back down again because both federal and state and, and, and maybe even local, but at least those two levels of government – do have a concerted effort to make it difficult to build and run any kind of company in the U.S., specifically any company dealing with um, manufacturing and, and fab stuff. So uh, what you're talking about, chip manufacturer or microprocessor plant, I mean, just you can't – I don't know. Maybe there's one heavy metal processing center in all of North America and a proposal for another one or something, but you got to do that in China. Um, they don't they won't let you. So that's the downer that you're bringing in. Greg, the baritone asks me, uh, Carter, if I can ask you again, ignore me if you'd like, I didn't realize you asked me the first time, but, uh, any suggestions for finding out which tech companies are not woke? Well, it depends how much work you want to put in. I mean, the easiest thing is just go interview. <laughs> like, um, if you're looking for a job, if you want to, if you want to work, 
or sorry, if you want to just use their product. Uh, I mean, all the major ones are woke. I think you could probably just tell. I mean, if you go to any major tech company website and you look at some of their mission statements, like just look for look for woke language. I mean, it's not a guarantee that they're not woke if there's not woke language there, but it's a good bet. Um, it's a good bet. Look for people who associate with uh, wrong thinkers, either because they advertise with wrong thinkers or um, or you know whatever they're they. I don't know. They retweet wrong thing. I don't know. Probably no one does that if you're a company. Um, my guess is there are a decent amount of non-woke companies in the sense that they don't like it, but they're trying to keep their heads down still. Uh, I don't think that'll work. I, I think they'll fail. Um, but yeah, that's the best I got for for non woke. If you're looking for a job, just go interview. If they start asking you questions, like what are the questions they ask this dude? Why is diversity important to you, and what have you done to increase diversity at your company? Just get up and leave. No need to waste any more of your time. There's your answer. Right. So you can tell by language. You can also tell you can you can signal non wokeness in in company missions and about statements as well, right? If someone talks about you know individualism, it's like oh okay, and they don't use any woke language and they mention individualism, <laughs> probably not woke. Yeah, gene analysis it says no dye department, right? No diversity, equity, inclusion department. Yeah, Greg, I, I would say. Uh, so he's saying he's looking for a job. If you are looking for a job, honestly, I think interviewing is because the interviewing, you're going to go through HR. Uh, so, and if you want to weed yourself out or weed them out, just say something abhorrent. I mean, not like bad, bad, but something that they would be upset about. Like, uh, I believe in diversity of ideas and individualism. Tell me you voted for Trump, right? I mean, a normal company doesn't give a crap who you voted for. Not normal. A woke company would kick you out of the interview. So you can you can always weed yourself out. It's like uh, it's the same advice I give to people who are dating. Like, I can't ever find anyone, and I'm afraid to put this, this, and this on my profile because it's not popular with people. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, yeah, that's why you should put it on your profile. Put everything that the wokies detest on your dating profile. Like how much time, like life is short. You have a limited number of minutes in your life. So why would you waste them with some, you know, trying to dupe some wokey? Just be like, yep, I'm, you know, <laughs> if you're a MAGA person, just I'm MAGA. If you're like, whatever, just write it in your profile. Yes, they will hate you. They will swipe left or whatever, right, or I think left. I don't know. I'm using app. But you save your time. The one person who responds Got that out of the way already. They already know you voted for Trump, so you're good to go. All right. Yeah, someone points out in chat, you are interviewing them. Yeah, I think a lot of people view interviews. Sorry, I'm uncomfortable here. I think a lot of people view interviews as like, oh, I'm going and being evaluated by the company. Uh, flip that script. That's not what's going on. You're interviewing them just as much there as they're interviewing me. So you. So go ask. 
you could go in your interview. You could say, do you have a diverse what, – what's your commitment to diversity? Do you have a diversity, equity, and inclusion department? What's your commitment to equity? Right? And if they're a good company, they'll say something like, well, we believe in the diversity of ideas and uh, we don't, you know, we don't treat people differently based on what race class they're in. We believe in individualism. Like, all right. Got to be careful. Definitely want to talk to HR. That's the vec that's the disease vector. So if, if the woke's coming in, it's coming in through HR. It doesn't come in through the, you know, algorithm PhDs generally. All right. It's been an hour. Do people in chat think we should should help Beverly with her question? Or do we not care about Beverly? And tell me, should we keep going in and help Beverly? It's the last it's the last topic, if we're gonna do a topic, or we could end the show after an hour. I'll wait. You guys are probably behind me. Beverly says no one cares about Beverly. <laughs> uh, no, someone said they care. They want to help Beverly. All right. Well, if only Beverly doesn't care and everyone else. All right. We'll help Beverly. None your business says who cares. That's the kind of attitude none your business. That goes with your username, uh, which I do like. Okay. Let's help Beverly. Beverly's question. I'm just going to read this verbatim. She sent it to me on Discord today. She's always asking random questions, like she's debating commie friends or whatever. And she's like, what do you say to me? This is, this is one of them. What would be the best way to argue a point against people saying that coughing slash breathing on them or whatever, spreading COVID, infringes on their rights? Like when they compare it to being punched and initiation of force. And then she writes, as I was thinking, if you want to go that far, then you'd at least have to wait until after the crime is committed to punish them, right? All right, let's answer her second part first. Yes, you would have to wait until after the crime. Done. We're not gonna. <laughs> we're not trying to build minority report where we predict that someone's doing something. So if it were a crime, you would wait until the crime was committed. Now, let's let's go after the first part. Now, the first part. This feels like a messy question. It does. At least it does to me. It may feel like a messy question to you, and it feels like a messy question uh, because it is. Um, and often there is when you know when you run into a question that seems like a quagmire, it's usually because there's some underlying corruption of principle that's creating the mess. Um, and so it really starts to confuse it. There were at least or at least some corruption of a principle that's elevating it to some level of importance, societal importance. Um, and the mess that we're being asked uh, to uh, to deal with here is we're being asked to agree on something that's an inherently gray area. Um, and one way you can start your investigation says, why, why are we being asked to do this? Why is this so messy? But before we get to that, um, let's just notice that it is messy. Let's just, let me just point out how, how it's messy. If you don't see that it's messy, you might respond to Beverly as I kind of initially did that. Well, Actually, intentionally coughing on someone can be a form of mild assault, right? Especially if you know that you're sick or likely sick. Um, it's a, obviously it's a moot point if they don't contract anything. But uh, do you remember how the abhorrent law that California passed 
uh, a couple of years ago where uh, you could basically intentionally infect someone with AIDS by not informing them, knowing that you had AIDS, not informing them, having unprotected sex, and they could, and, and actually even lying to them about having AIDS. Um, and that was considered perfectly okay. Um, ignore the fact that that contradicts the entire mask argument uh, and vaccine argument. But that was California. And that bothered a lot of people because it seemed like some sort of form of assault. So coughing on someone could be a mild form of assault. If you know that you're sick, if you know you have Ebola, or if you know you have um, the zombie apocalypse plague and you run around coughing on people because you're trying to get them infected, uh, that could be a form of assault. But obviously it's a moot point, right? If they don't contract anything, it doesn't matter. Breathing on is a little bit harder to define. I think breathing on someone is creepy and weird. I don't know anyone who really runs around like <sighs> vampires. I don't know who, who breathes on people. Um, I think they mean breathing near someone. Uh, I think that's like, you breathed near me, right? Um, and my first answer here was like, well, what, look, walking around and breathing in the vicinity of someone is not assault unless you know with high confidence that you're infected with some kind of severe disease. It's contagious enough that your mere presence is likely to infect and, and injure these people, right? And obviously COVID-19 doesn't meet those standards by a long shot, Um and if a person chooses to interact with you by standing close and talking, then they're taking risk. And, you know, that's always true. There are countless diseases with various degrees of lethality, uh, people with various degrees of susceptibility. Uh, being in the vicinity of others is fundamentally entangled with risk. That's part of reality. That's, you know, if Aristotle knew about germ theory, he would agree. Right? That's a thing is what it is. Reality is reality. Being near other people is fundamentally entangled with risk. From, from a from a disease perspective, it just is, right? You can't separate that. Um, you also can't force others to take any action as, as a result of your fear, really. Um, if someone's too scared to have normal interactions with other people, then that's their responsibility to avoid other people. Um, even though that, that's kind of my gut response, um, it's not really correct. <laughs> so after I said all that, it's not really – it's unsatisfying as an answer because my response is messy, right? My response involves I'm making arguments about risk management and what's reasonable and what's not. I'm making arguments about breathing near someone versus breathing on them, the likelihood of being infected, the level of lethality, right? I'm making arguments about what's a, like a reasonable risk or an acceptable risk. Um, and ultimately, that's not something we can agree on. Right? Everyone has different levels of risk tolerance. People do different things. Some people, you know, I knew people before the the pandemic who, you know, might as well have had stock and hand sanitizer companies just run around slathering it on all the time. Like, okay, that's cool. I know people who tell their kids to eat dirt. Actually, I'm one of those people. I have my kids eat dirt. Um, so why is this answer so nebulous? So let's get to the let's get to the fundamental reason why this is a nebulous answer and how we could clarify it. And really, the reason it's nebulous is you know, to, to find that reason, we have to ask why we're even arguing about this. So let's give an example of why we're arguing about this. Person A doesn't want person B in the same grocery store with them unless person B wears a mask. That's that's what we're talking about, right? But of course, if you imagine that situation, there's a third party involved that's being ignored. Can you guys guess who the third party is that's being ignored? 
I'd wait for a chat answer, which I know it will come, but you're delayed. So the answer is we're ignoring the grocery store owner. We as a culture are already so stricken with the mind virus of collectivism that we have forgotten about private property. So much of our day-to-day life takes place in spaces that we have stupidly decided to label public property or public spaces. And we're so accustomed to subordinating the rights of property owners and the name of the public good that we seldom ever remember that property owners actually exist and have rights. But in a society that respects individual sovereignty, private property doesn't just exist, it's ubiquitous. So in that case, when the Safeway or the restaurant or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is, whatever that is, when you cease to consider it public property and you start recognizing it as the private property that it that it is, this entire problem vanishes. Why? Because my property, my rules, right? Those of you who grew up with hard-ass parents, my house, my rules, good for you parents, by the way, if there's any of those parents in the chat. Um, My property, my rules. If my rules are that you have to wear 15 masks and get eight vaccinated shots and stay 20 feet away to be in my, on my property, those are my rules. If my rules are that you have to French kiss every person you see, those are my rules. Right? It's not a debate between people in the space. The rules aren't a debate between people in the space. The rules are at the sole discretion of the person who owns the property. He sets the rules. And if he sets those rules to be too dramatically different from the community norms, people won't want to come on his property. Right? If he says, on the one hand, on the one extreme, if he says you got to French kiss everyone in the supermarket, no one's going to go to that supermarket, probably. I don't know where you live, uh, but in my town, I don't think everyone would go. Uh, If he says you have to wear a giant bubble, probably no one would go there either. Some people in my town might because they are that neurotic. But the choice is his. He decides what the rules are. So the owner of the establishment gets to decide. It's not a negotiation between patrons about what the rules in someone else's space are. Now we're arguing about this. Beverly is arguing about, about this because we're dealing with the consequences of our prior acceptance of collectivism. We've decided maybe you, I don't I mean, you know, maybe some of you were on the deciding this side of the, the, the decision. Maybe you decided that the government owns a bunch of space and we're going to call that public property. And maybe you decided that even though it's private property, the government has a bunch of control over it. And it has so much control that we're going to call it a public space, even though it's technically private property. And if you were on that side of the argument, well, you're reaping what you sow. That's what's going on. Right now we're dealing with the problem of sharing ownership of property with a bunch of neurotics. That's the situation we're in right? They're performing a risk analysis, right? It's the risk analysis of a neurotic, but it's their risk analysis. They're terrified of the fact that you've been breathing somewhere in their vicinity. That's their risk analysis. You can call it irrational and crazy all you want, but that's their risk analysis. And there's no way to convince them uh, that they're wrong about that. It's a psychiatric problem, right? 
And really, you don't have the right to tell them that they can't be that neurotic, right? People have a right to be neurotic to the point of dysfunction. That's their right. And and to make matters worse, if you're one of the people who agreed to grant the government private uh, control over private property and call it a public space, not only did you concede that these private spaces were public, but you also trusted that government officials somehow represent the public. You said, well, these are their proxies for the public good. And the public good trumps private ownership. And you said, well, as representatives of the public good, they should have the authority over the space to make rules. Now, maybe you weren't thinking about vaccines or masks, right? Maybe you naively thought, well, only for important stuff like discrimination and blah, 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 things that I think are morally horrible. Hmm. Same power gives them the power about masks and vaccines. It's an unprincipled argument to give them power for even stuff that's abhorrent. You don't want a shop owner discriminating, so let's grant power to the government. Well, you lost, you've lost already. It's time to pay the piper if that's the side you're on. If you're one of the people arguing that you have to wear a mask, right? Uh, sorry, if, if there are people arguing that, that you have to wear a mask because they're scared, well, if the government agrees and you're one of the people that agreed that the government has a permission to regulate private spaces, then you really don't have any recourse, right? You liked the result of giving the government this power at the time because it was used in a way that you liked and you don't like it now. If you don't like it now, and you're having some second thoughts, if you're one of the people that let uh, or encourage the government to control private space for some fucking public good that you thought was great because you're a busybody, turn that frustration inward. It's time for some introspection. Own up to what you did and correct your mistake. And then take a principled stance for private property moving forward. That's a stance against the government oversight of private spaces. For whatever noble cause you think the government needs to have its fucking nose in private spaces. And if you're not willing to do that, then deep down, you're also a tyrant. And you'll never win the argument against the, the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates or anything else they want to roll out in the future. Because you've conceded the moral high ground. And you failed to have the integrity to stand up for individual rights, even when that meant people might act in ways that you thought were wrong. So root out the tyranny in your own heart. Reject the very concept of public property. Kick these authoritarians out of power. Take back your liberties. It's better to have a neighbor who does and says things that you despise than it is to be subjected to a government that has the power to stop him from doing those things. That's the long and short of it. And that's my answer to Beverly. I'm not yelling at Beverly. I just get passionate. All right. I'm going to take a moment to look through chat. I don't think there's too much going on in chat that I need to address. Richard Pett says, first principles 101, Carter, well explicated. It is first principles, Richard, right? And so many people, so many people, conservatives, if there's any watching, you're guilty as shit over this. So many people are like, wow, 
I believe in private property, but shouldn't the government stop you if you're going to do that because it's immoral? Yeah, it's immoral. So fucking what? You're giving the government a gun. They're going to point it at you someday. Stop. Just stop. All right. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I know this got dark. I feel dark. It doesn't mean for it to be dark. Um, yeah, I don't mean for it to be dark. Let's let's end by reminding ourselves that these fucking temp companies, these tech companies are dying. They're rotting from within. And alternate tech could be the answer. That's a good that's good news. That's nice. Maybe after we secede, uh, we'll be we'll have alternate tech companies doing stuff for us. Um, anyway, thanks for watching everyone. Uh, I assume you're subscribed. Uh, if you're not, like I said, please go double check and, uh, make sure, um, uh, please help grow the unsafe space community. You can, uh, do that by sharing this video, sharing other videos. Uh, and, um, and just as a reminder, if you don't believe that sharing videos are as important as I'm telling you it is. Just listen to the Vice President of the United States. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree. I'm sorry, I just love that so much. There you have it. Kamala Harris has spoken. Um, an extra everyday shout out to those who support us financially at unsafespace.com. You can get into our Discord server. Uh, to continue the conversation there if you're a financial supporter. As always, I love topic suggestions, feedbacks, all that stuff. Thanks so much for spending your Wednesday evening with me. We will see you on Friday for Coffee Break. I don't think there's another show between now and then. Beverly can jump into chat and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the next time we see you is on Friday. So have a good night, everyone. Uh, take care. There is going to be a live Great Reset tomorrow. Oh, cool. There's a live great reset tomorrow. Who knew? I don't know. I don't I don't work. I just work here. I don't know. All right. Roll the credits, Beverly. Thanks. Thanks for spending your time with us today. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. So go check it out. And please consider supporting the Unsafe Space team by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. Please download this updated list of contagious individuals. Use the hashtag GetBoosted to receive two complimentary Liberty pellets. Mass formation psychosis is just a right-wing talking point. Please purge it from memory and resume your programming.
If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.